Hey, Maggie. Hey, Anna. Guess what? Tell me everything. We have a very special guest today. I am super excited. Tell me about Yousef. Yousef Sievers, who's a company member at PCPA, is going to join us and talk about Black theater and what PCPA is up to in this, you know, unprecedented time. Yeah, and how we are moving forward within the pandemic to create new and necessary theater. That's right. Let's do it. Let's do it. Anna, hello. Hey, Maggie. I'm very excited because we have Yousef Sievers with us today. I know. And you know what? That's basically the same as having, I don't know, royalty here. Oh, we do have royalty here, though, in, in Montecito. Yeah, this is better. This is better than that, because uh, Yousef is one of the major company players at PCPA, my uh, favorite place to go up north and check out some theater. And uh, we're so happy that you could join us. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. I caught you recently on a program that PCPA has done. Do you want to tell people on the pod who may not know about that? Tell tell the audience about what that was. Yes. Um, recently, we had a couple community enrichment classes about Black theater and where it intersects with American culture and history. And these were two very appetizer-like <laughs> classes to really get you interested and tuned to topics, events, and perspectives that can help all of us kind of pick up our duty in shifting this civil paradigm that we're really in the midst of right now. And so it was a two-part class that we had over the course of two weeks. We had a week break in between, and we're probably going to do it again. Um, But it was really phenomenal. Both classes went longer than we anticipated fruitful with questions and dialogue. And for me, that's the goal. If I can get people comfortable simply traversing the path of conversation, we're already a hundred years ahead of schedule. <laughs> if, pe- if people are able to talk and and withstand the wobble that happens in conversations of such sensitive nature. Interesting. Tell me more about this wobble, because I feel like we come across it here in Santa Barbara and in San Luis Obispo counties where, you know, we don't necessarily have a super diverse population. So we come across that wobble a lot. Yeah, the wobble happens. It comes it shows itself in many different forms, but primarily the wobble exists in just not talking about that gut feeling (laughs) that we all have about either something being inappropriate or something being just not the way it should be. You're never always quite sure, but it's, I think of it like a spidey sense, you know, it's that extra intuition of something's not right or something's out of place or just something's amiss. It's like a bad chord in music. You can hear it. You're just not quite sure what's going on. And so that wobble happens a lot in theater and it happens a lot in general, especially American culture, because there's not a lot of emotional stability to traverse these planes. You know, either someone becomes too angry too fast or someone becomes too defensive too fast. And then all ground that we could cover is lost because our stability is not in ourselves, but it's in things needing to be okay and things being familiar and things being comfortable. If I can predict what's gonna happen, then I'll get into this conversation. But if I don't know what's gonna happen, 
I'm not even going to begin to talk about it. And that's not where we can really afford to spend much time, <laughs> you know? Right. Absolutely. I, I mean, I was a participant in that, in both of those, and I thought it was a really lovely conversation. Plus, you had scenes from some interesting plays by Black playwrights in the American, you know, kind of theatrical tradition and, and gave us sort of an overview back to Lorraine Hansberry and uh, up to um, maybe Venus was the most contemporary one. And, and so a nice little sort of taste, an appetizer, like you said, uh, of um, black theater. So I, I thought in some ways we might be able to extend or, or kind of take a different angle on this a similar topic and just ask you just to get a sense of your background where did you come to the central coast most recently from i most recently came to the central coast from uh <laughs> the state of dallas is what i like to call it <laughs> but dallas texas is where i came from before i was here and Prior to that, I was in New Mexico, and prior to that, I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, what are some of the things that kind of jumped out of you at you as as unique about the Central Coast? Just anything? Like, to me, it's different than Dallas. Yeah, it's very different than Dallas. The thing that I love most about the Central Coast is the the prominence of non-man-made things so so when i lived in new mexico there were there were mountains at every direction north south east and west and there's there's a power that comes with these natural marvels you know be it the ocean be it the coast be it the hills be it the mountains whatever it is there are things that we as human beings did not create that have presence and have power and are palpable you know and the central coast like a lot of um California and a lot of some Southwest area, there's this presence of that, that natural marvel and that natural magnificence that we didn't make, but we get to enjoy. And so I've always been a person to kind of tune to those things more. I, I grew up in a concrete jungle. So like I'm over freeways and I'm over tall buildings <laughs> and I'm almost over lots of cars too, you know, but I, I'm really interested in that that true sense of satisfaction that comes from natural intelligence. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I feel like when I'm in a place like Dallas or Detroit or I'm, I'm always aware that the water is nowhere. Like where's the water? And I, you know, <laughs> want to be oriented to the water. Um, so you must have, do you make it out to the beach ever? Check that out. As often as I can. As often as, as, often can. as I Very can. Well, I love it. We'll have to take you down here to once it's safe to see the Santa Barbara coastline and check out <laughs> some of our Santa Barbara sites. Absolutely. Man-made and, and otherwise. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I wanted to ask you about how PCPA is dealing with, well, first of all, the COVID crisis, what, besides these educational enrichment things, what else is going on? 
Well, we are really doing double duty in a lot of ways because we're we're reshaping what our company life looks like. And we're also reshaping what our company culture is built of. And so it's it's kind of an in-house time and also a what is our relationship to the community time. And so a lot of our time is spent brainstorming about how we can interact with you all and how we can interact with our community and really taking the pulse of where our community is and what we can do and how we can better serve those that we are surrounded by. And so I think of it as a a double duty because we're also reshaping what our, our company culture is all about how we do what we do, how we talk to one another, how these equity and diversity issues show up in our lives and how we can adjust and pivot to allow these things to shift in a dynamic and valuable way. And I don't know what all of those things look like because we're just we're just in the in the onset of such a deep and valuable process. And so it's like we're headed in. Not sure where it's what's going to come. I know it's going to be good, but we're headed in, you know, and in situations like this, that's really all we can do is just head in the direction of it because we never know what's going to happen after the action or what's going to happen after we do this thing or talk to this person or do this podcast. We never know what's going to happen next, but we nosedive into it and continue to maintain hope, you know? Oh, that, that's really interesting to me because I was hypothesizing that that as devastating as COVID has been for our theater community everywhere, it also must create some kind of opportunity in a, you know, perverse way or, or just, you know, it creates a like theater is so on the clock all the time. You know, you have right. six weeks, you have five weeks, you have four, you know, you have the clock's always ticking and things have been calibrated to take as long as exactly as long as they take. So -hmm. there's not really like, Oh, we have 20 minutes now. Even we don't even have 20 minutes right now to talk about what this means or what, how is this going to shake out in front of an audience? Or, you know, there's those things are all for specialists or they've already happened by the time certain people come in the room and, you know, like, Mm-hmm. The 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 closure of the theaters means that now all the people have to stop whether they want to or not and take stock and uh it's it's an interesting moment that I'm glad PCPA is taking it as an opportunity to examine not that I think there's anything problematic to examine just just taking an opportunity to to shift yeah and and I think it's important because no matter where we are, and I can say this for any company in this world, it's all problematic. <laughs> because if it wasn't problematic, we wouldn't have these problems, you know? And so it's important to not demonize where we are, but it's also important to understand that where we are is problematic because that place demands change. And that's the kind of soothing that in terms of conversations and like, how do we dialogue about these things we can't placate what we've been doing because it it softens the need for change. If we really understand that what we are doing is problematic and not sustainable and perpetuating ideals like this time scarcity thing that you're talking about, that's a part of the system of oppression that does not leave room for us to evolve and discover new things. 
that's on purpose, you know, not by us, not by even the people who inflict it. It's on, it's part of a system that's been perpetuated for decades. You know, this is not something that we decided. We're like, you know what? I'm going to schedule everything. So no one has time to think about anything valuable. (laughs) No one planned it like that, but ipso facto, that's the way it is. And so now we're able to forced, which I love to take this time to say how useful has it really been to have no time to discuss these things or to constantly be under pressure or to not investigate why we do things or the effect of the things that we do. I think that that's an industry-wide issue. I don't think it's a thing specific to PCPA or specific to the Guthrie. It's specific to the theater industry in general. I have always been conditioned to believe that and to sacrifice what I might find valuable for the sake of this intangible idea of the industry and the arts and the theater. And now we're in this place where our circumstances has taken that away. I can't do a play. So now what? And now I'm forced, just like we all are, to look at that empty space and say, well, if I wasn't working, what would I be filling my cup with? And that's the question, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's the question that we should be asking. And now our, I think it's such, it's a blessing in a, in a very, you know, twisty, topsy-turvy way, because I don't know if any of us would have taken the ownership it takes to stop like this. I know I wouldn't, you know, and I was committed to the momentum, you know, it felt good to keep going. And I would not have said, you know what, I'm going to take a year off from working consistently to reflect. I couldn't I couldn't say that I had the ground to say that. And I don't think a lot of people could either. And so now we're in this place where we're stumbling over time <laughs> to really look at, you're like, I have more hours? I have more hours to look at these things. You're like, but it's uncomfortable. I don't want to spend time there. And then you turn around and there's more hours. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been an interesting experience to just slow everything down so much. You know, like you were saying, we're now stumbling over time. I mean, that is true for, I mean, everyone, whether or not you're yeah, involved in the theater, in the theater. But I definitely have five extra hours a day to just to live within my own skin in a way that I was distracted before. And I think that this really, you know, it kind of brings theater appreciators, theater makers, everybody involved in the theater. We're really getting to live in that space. Like you said, mm-hmm. I, I want to read to you something that uh, Sarah Bellamy, who's the artistic director of Penumbra theater in St. Paul, Minnesota said she, um, runs a professional African-American theater, one of only three in the nation that offers a full season of performances. And uh, it's been around since 1976, which is great. Um, she she was talking about, and, and Maggie liked this quote too, mm-hmm. I differentiate between black theater and plays with black people in them. Black theater has always has a social justice imperative and communities uplift embedded in it, whereas plays with black people in them might actually be injurious or do harm to the black community. Yep. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. 100%. Absolutely. Um, You know, uh, I'm from Minneapolis and, and, and uh, it has a, 
where where Santa Barbara has two percent, San Luis has about two percent uh, African American population. Minneapolis has a significantly large percentage of African American citizens in there, and um, so I can and they and Minnesotans love theater. They just really do. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's the weather. I think it's cold. And it's like we're we're cold. We love we love indoor. Yeah, let's go see a play. You know, Um, (laughs) you get to the coast and people start thinking about nature. Um, We have to stop that, but slow down. But um, you know, how can we replicate something like that? Or maybe "replicates" the wrong word. But how can we get a black theater how can we have black theater in the central coast rather than plays with black people in them like how do we get closer to that that is i mean the clarity of that decision is really all it takes you know and really being relentless is a strong word but that's the word that comes to mind but being relentless in our advocacy for those things you know what i mean if we were to produce something if we had to do a bunch of shakespeare plays or we'd never be able to do shakespeare again we would find a way to do everything in the canon if it meant that we could keep it and so now we're in this place where black theater has always as that statement you just read says has always had a civil justice and a simple advocacy element to it because it, it was born out of necessity you know it was born out of a it, it was born out of there are too many plays with black people in them and not enough black plays and so with that in mind it became this and that's why in my class I, I drew the parallel to the scenes because the clues are there the pointings are right in the page and so it really allows us to look at the work and just look beyond the layer of entertainment. And so now we're in this place where there's a, you know, a 2% ratio, whatever you, the demographics you know, <laughs> there's, there's a, a very small number. And now we have to deliberately amplify that demographic. And we have to deliberately amplify these things that have yet to exist. And I say, so does all the other things that people have pioneered. But now we're in this place where we're able to own that desire and have it be matched coast to coast and have it be matched by civil unrest Mm -hmm. and have it be matched by the demand for our community. And so now it's like now we just have to line up that clarity of that question with the decisions in the rooms and risk the wobble. There it is again. Risk the wobble in order to make it happen. Like that risk the wobble, risk the wobble. Definitely. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, this is a conversation that we have a lot about, uh, you know, people try, I think, and make an effort to do colorblind casting. But a phrase that came up that I think is a better phrase is color conscious casting. Um, what What are your thoughts about the difference between the two and what is most important? Um. Ignoring what is never works. Mm. (laughs) It never, ever works. And as a person who's played many more white men than I have men of color in plays, Mm. it it puts an erasure-like quality on those people. And it does not allow for, let's say, my Blackness 
to be present in a piece in which you cast me without my blackness and mine. And so there's a marginalizing of experience that you get to commodify my presence when people buy a ticket and see my black face on the pamphlet, but you also get to marginalize my experience by not letting me be who I am based on what you are able to conceptualize. And so we have to push ourselves and push our peers to see beyond what they've seen before. And I know it sounds crazy to innovate and imagine brand new things, <laughs> but it's what we got to do. We cannot rely on old and tired and regurgitated themes in order to perpetuate our sense of theater. It has to change or it evaporates. Well, and I think it loses the necessity and vitality that you yes. were talking about that comes like there's nothing like a global pandemic to make you think like, well, what is what is required? What it what right. or or when I, you know, when I um like Michael Morgan at, at UCSB does is doing uh Trojan women with uh, incarcerated youth and having them rewrite their re rewrite it in kind of inclusive of their experience of you know that what it means to lose that much what it means to yes. be that abject mm -hmm. and uh, you know when you have thing that's what I think art is for is to help you with the things you can't get your head around. I mean, the reason I spend some of my five hour, extra five hours a day, like, I think I rage we read Twitter, you know, going like, damn it, God damn it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I think that's when you need art is to say, like, I can't express how angry and bad I, that, that, how bad it all is. Yes. <laughs> I need, now I need Shakespeare. Right now, mm -hmm. I need someone who's sort of articulated this, and um, so when we get to what's vital, I and I wanted to explore a little bit of the irony of that in Broadway right now. Um, the Broadway stages. This is a that three quarters of the theaters in Broadway, the spaces, are controlled by three different production organizations, and. Um, to to get a foothold in Broadway, you need to share the box office revenue with someone who owns the theater. And um, this article um, in the New York Times was saying that because Broadway's been doing so well lately, like not recently lately, they haven't had black theater because, you know, basically they're making too much money. So, yes. so these artists are thinking this is actually an opportunity post because people will be nervous maybe to go back to the theater that post post COVID, whatever that is, there'll be a bigger opportunity for black theater to come in. These right, these writers hope. Absolutely. Do you see anything I, like that in, you know, the central coast or in your theater yes, world? I see it in two different ways. The first thing I see is the the overdependence on an entity like Broadway. That's the first thing that I see that makes me, as a person who truly believes in the power of regional theater, it wasn't invented to be Broadway 2.0. Right. Sure. It was. It was. It was invented to serve the region in which it exists. And so there's that detachment that now we're now that Broadway's been cut off. We're like, well, 
what do we do? <laughs> what are, what are, what are we making if it's not to, to shoot towards that direction? And I think that that's great because we do need our own compass because Broadway works on dollars. They work on dollars, they work on who pays and they work on what people pay for. And that's often something that skews where these values and these new things come from. And we have to remind ourselves that, remember, we don't do this for the money. Right? Right. Pretty Ho- obviously. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. You know <laughs> we what definitely I mean? don't. So, you know, so now we're at this place where it's like, okay, since I don't do this for the money, <laughs> what what else does this bring to my life? force and what what can my life force bring to this work and so as as there is more opportunity for black plays to be on broadway i think it does too but i also think that like unless somebody's making the noise people are going to do what they're comfortable with and unless people are comfortable standing up in a room not taking a job stepping down from a job stepping away from a show unless we're willing to really take these kind of big deliberate clear, non-subtle actions, that's what really allows the, the paradigm and the, and the wheel to turn forward because it's, it's, it has to be radical. The subtleties is what takes it so long. We gain no momentum by being super subtle and being like, well, maybe if we did, you know, urban plays or, you know, like if we find all these, these roundabout ways rather than like hitting it right on the head, there's room for people to deny their involvement in perpetuating oppressive ideas. There's room for people to blame it on things like money. There's all of this room that we allow through our ambiguity and through our grayness. Mm. And so it, it depends on us to be clear and crystal clear, which is why I think this time is mandatory because the question that you just asked me with that kind of clarity of like, how do we see more black theater rather than plays with black people in them? That's a table for the board. And you lay that thing out and let it cook in the room, you know, <laughs> and watch the sweat begin to form, you know, and be relentless, not just like, well, we don't think it's like, yeah, no, we cannot continue to produce what we do without understanding the effect it has on perception and the world at large. Where do we sit on our influence? Question mark, question mark. You might ask the room and it's being inquisitively clear. You know, rather than quiet and and upset or, you know, kind of like pressing down this disgruntled feeling we often feel when we have that impulse in our stomach to say, you know, she shouldn't be the maid. She shouldn't be the maid. She shouldn't be the maid. And I should say something, you know, and it's like that's when you get up out your seat. (laughs) For those of you listening, I did just get up. But you you get up out your seat and you make yourself clear and you make yourself plain and if you flip that on the other head of like well what does it look like to throw my life on the line or throw my work on the line like that in civil rights and in relationship to black history in this country people have died for less people have died for being present in a space rather than standing up for something let alone having the words and the conviction to say it out loud And so now on our version of society, it begs that we risk more, which for us is like, what you mean? (laughs) I could could get in trouble. I could, you know, there's all these things, but like for what's right, where are you willing to go? And how far are you willing to go? And I know people who did not live who are willing to go further than most are willing to go today. Mm, Yeah. I, 
I've been thinking about Colin Kaepernick lately and his position and, and the way he was let himself be visible and walk away and, you know, the, the repercussions and the kind of just offhanded way people treated that. And then now to see it taking on a little more reverberation so many years later. Yes. Or when I was hearing that, you know, certain NBA players, uh, teams are thinking of like just stepping out for a while from the gameplay because they don't, you know, they have to be more than just entertainment. I mean, if they're not human beings, then what, you know, what does it matter? I mean, what does any of it matter really to them? And, um, like just thinking about the, the, the way entertainment it, I don't, I, I really feel like so many white Americans don't understand how trivial their entertainment is. <laughs> yes. And what it, and what it costs people, mm-hmm. what it costs a generation, because I'll tell you, every one of those blast basketball players or sports, any, any sports figure of color in the last 20 years, they know they're playing into a perception that works in their favor. Mm-hmm. They know that. Mm-hmm. And it's an accepted part of the game. That's the, then what's happening is because our lives are so disrupted, the game's getting wonky. People don't know which version of, of life they're really living. Am I living the version where I'm a person and I get to have values? Or am I living the version in which your brand on my shirt means that I speak what you desire? Mm. And people in the sports are really at a place where if they all quit, the industry evaporates. But in order to do that, they'd have to value this feeling inside more than the things outside. And that is again, where we meet that wobble that we have so much time to now figure out. I'm, I'm glad that we have the time to figure it out. I mean, I think that this is a question that people ask over and over and over again. And it's like I said, something that we think about a lot here, especially when, you know, there's a big difference between making theater like you said for entertainment you know for to give people something to do on a friday night versus making theater that is a uh, representative of an experience and right. so much of like you were saying you know so much of white theater is is a little trivial and and a lot of it is like definitely and i think that because we have pushed more for that like easy entertainment than yeah. we have taking a hard look at the experience of different people and different genders and, you know, different everything. And, and America always wants to upscale everything. I mean, everything has to be big, big, big. And when you make the pizza order bigger and bigger and bigger and want to fit everyone into it, it's going to look more and more like a cheese pizza. Right. Right. And and (laughs) it's going to be like, it's great. And, and so uh, I just want to, echo what you you said yourself about um regional theater being an oppor- a place where they shouldn't be trying to be mini broadway or sort of broadway sort of uh out of town mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. just do don't do that <laughs> just do you know what what is important what is necessary and that's and that's not why it was made you know what I mean? Like they didn't go to Broadway and go, you know what? We should start a, a, a Broadway too here. 
You know what I mean? Like it was born out of a need for people in this community or in this community or in this area. These theater artists got together and said, hey, we need to do work for our area, you know? And then it became popular and then it became bigger. And then the tricky part is money got involved. Yeah. Now, and now it's about who will pay for it and who's willing to ask for it. And as a person who is like, I, I run a business in my on my own time. And so I've my my stability with money has changed that my theatrical education did not give me. My theatrical gave me the education of work for as little as possible and eat as much as you, you know, eat as cheap as you can and have a job you can quit. Right. <laughs> and, so, and so now we're in this place where asking to look at the budget is a necessary next step. Because to see where you put your money is to see where you put your mouth. Mm. Absolutely. Amen to that. And, you know, <laughs> other countries have health care as a basic human right, and they also fund the arts. What? No way. It's true. Stop it. Just mm-hmm. shut your Radical. mouth right now. I've, I've gone to some of these places. <laughs> I've, got, I've been there. <laughs> um. Yusef, I think we could talk to you until midnight, but um, we probably should let you sleep. But um, <laughs> thank you so much. And is Absolutely. is there anything else you want to um, leave our listeners with as like a thing maybe coming up? Something or- to think about in those five hours that we now have. <laughs> yeah, the, that, all that extra time we're stumbling over. Well, there's there's a couple things I'll share. I will share to keep. Um, to keep your pulse on on PCPA's website because we, we will be having a four-part uh, professional Black theater series. Oh, fantastic. The, the professional artist who isn't afraid of using text and we'll have some exper- experiential things we will work with. For four weeks, we're going to explore different playwrights, different stories, and really kind of get immersive in it. And there's only 20 spots in this first in this first rotation. And so it just allows for a little bit more intimacy. But really... Walk into spaces that make you wobble is the thing that I would really encourage anybody who's listening to this because it can be very seductive once we, you know, find our own home and everybody's okay being all right to be like, this is nice and easy, right? And we still have internal work to do. We still have social work to do and we don't live on this planet by ourselves. And so in order to make this a more cohesive and dynamic relationship between all beings, um, I encourage us to get out on the waves, get out on the water, you know what I mean? And really traverse that stuff because that's the life force. That's what we're alive for is to be on the water. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to speak with you. Absolutely. Pleasure to speak with you both as well. I am feeling kind of inspired. I'm feeling super inspired. We should do that again. I think that was maybe one of the most interesting conversations that we've had in a long time. Definitely. Definitely. Really cool stuff. So thanks to you, Subceivers, and David Paris, our producer. Absolutely. And Miles Vinicow for his music. And check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and our website. Yeah, and now on Spotify. <laughs>